gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm now saying hello to everybody, and I'm getting, I am getting dog kisses at the same time. Hello, listeners. It is – the girls are back. The girls hello. are back. Um, hello. We're back. It, it is Lambert and Laura Burkholz with uh, the uh, Digest of Riddles in the Dark. And today we're doing episode uh, – we're covering episode 2.03, which was talk about Mirkwood itself, the, the forest itself. So how are you doing, Laura? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I, as I shared before we got on, I feel dis- discombobulated today. We're doing this on a Monday, and I, I don't know. The day's just gotten away from me. But at least I got to sit down and just, you know, this is like recess for me. This is fun. Fun talk. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, and the dog. got all, all the dogs around. Yes, we got the Radagast going on here. <laughs> well, Certain we have a new cat, but I don't think he's going to make a lot of noise. Totally the cat. Charlene, yes. Long-haired cat. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Good. All right. Okay. Well, let's jump into this. Uh, We talked, Corey and Dave and I talked about um, the the wood, Mirkwood, and, you know, how was it going to be – how is it going to be portrayed? And specifically, the riddle has to do with what's the what are what will the elves' relationship with Mirkwood be? So let me read. I'm going to read the riddle out, and then we can like maybe talk about it a little bit. So how the riddle is: How will the elves' relationship with the encroaching evil in Mirkwood be depicted? So we have A is the book answer. The forest is uniformly dark with no light or dark boundary, but the elves are living in peace, meaning that they're out and about, and mm-hmm. you know they're not. Or, you know, there's no military kind of thing going on. B is the forest is uniformly dark, dark with no boundary, and the elves are living in crisis, which is, you know, there maybe are forays, you know, like like they're defending the realm kind of thing against the evil. C is there is a clear and unchallenged elf, evil slash elf realm demarcation, and the elves are living in peace, which we call the Doriath answer because that's similar in theme to the Girdle of Melian in the Silmarillion where, mm-hmm. you know, like this unseen barrier that yeah, protects them. Protected, a protected barrier, a magical barrier. Magical barrier, less, right, yeah. right. Magical barrier, not like manned with outposts barrier, but it's mm-hmm. actually a magical And then D is there is an actively defended boundary between the encroaching evil and the elf realm, i.e. the elves are in crisis. And in this case – then we are talking about like outposts with sentries and things like that. So it's not a magical boundary. It's like it's like a defended boundary. It's like a perimeter, a defended perimeter. Exactly. And then E is none of the above, which I think we had to include just in case. Because <laughs> there's always those none of the above people. Always those none of the above people. Uh, <laughs> so it's an interesting one because you know, I mean, in the book, it's 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 this kind of. It's almost like a Zen koan. I mean, you've got this evil. Well, actually, Corey talked about it. You know, in in, in the book, yes, the, the the animals have turned black, but um, but they're not evil in themselves. You know, they they haven't turned evil. Uh, you've no, got and world. and in the book too, it's been Markwood for a long time. The elves are kind of used to it, and you know, it, I mean, it seems a little bit though that. In the book, there's a little bit of sea going on, too, because the spiders don't go where the elves are. You know, the the areas where the elves were having their feasts, the spiders don't go there. So there's a little right. bit of that. Right. It's kind of like a protected bubble wherever the elves are. Well, yeah. and the elves are hunting. I mean, they're hunting the white heart, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's 
thing, thing that goes through. And uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting. And it's, it's almost it's almost like I remember one time I was reading it and I thought to myself, it almost is truly like fairy with a capital F where it's almost like a parallel universe. Some, you know, I mean, that was kind of one of my thoughts one time. It's like they're oh, existing. Sure. sure. Almost it, in spite of how black work was gotten, they are, you know, they have it's like, you know, they're kind of in their own little world kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's a very medieval symbolism to be hunting for a white heart like that, too. Right, and the medieval feast, and the the, the feast mm-hmm. that disappears as soon as the people enter the clearing. Yeah. Yeah, it's another one, too, you know, because I know, um, I know, I can't remember what book it was. Um, well, I know Smith of Wood Major has it, I think, where they're, where they're dancing, you know, the, yes. the, the elves are dancing. He enters the clearing and they disappear. But I know also, I think, was it Sir Orfeo or one of those where there's a similar kind of thing that goes on, either feasts or dancing. And as soon as he enters, as soon as he sets foot in the glade, then they disappear. I think it is Sir Orfeo, but don't hold me so, to yeah. it because I'm not a medievalist. <laughs> and one of the reasons I remember that is because I, I think I had just listened to that episode of the Fairy Fantasy class oh, before yes. he did. Mm-hmm. And read this bit of The Hobbit, because I think I was doing a course where I had to read The Hobbit at the time, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, that, I mean, that is so what a similar. So, yeah, yeah. Kind of I like think here. you're right. I think it's Sir Orfeo. I think it is. So, that's an interesting thing, but, you know, I just, I just tend to think that that would kind of go over the heads of the audience. I just don't think, I think that's way yeah. too subtle. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, you know, I think that... Um, that's kind of a different sort of elf than has been shown so far. It would be tough for him to to show the elves in in that light. You know, I mean, even in Lothlorien with Galadriel, there's, they still have an actively defended border. They don't have magical borders down there. Yeah, that's true. That's and Thrandall true. is is no Galadriel, so I don't <laughs> think they're gonna be. You sir are no Galadriel, <laughs> sir. Not glad. Although your hair is very nice. You're not glad. Very nice. And you have those those amazing eyebrows. Yes. Yes. <laughs> amazing, yes. Uh, um, so any, so what did you say, Trish? I'm just looking that up, actually, because I don't remember what I said. I and thought I'm, you, you said know, D. I thought you said I D. May, uh, did I say D? I'm looking this up now just to double check because I forget. Hold on. Doom, 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 2.03. Where is it? Oh, it's not up here. Oh. Oh, yeah. Where is it? Riddle 2.04. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's down here further. Hold on. Dead space. Oh, come on. Why is it not? Oh, there we go. You said D. 2.03. D. I'm looking yeah, at Yeah, Corey and I both yeah. said D. Which was, going back to the thing, we said... There will be an actively defended boundary between the encroaching evil and the elf realm. And the thing is, for me, I think my reasoning, and I think uh, Dave said C, didn't he? I think Dave said C. Oh, yeah, was, said C. we said we eliminated, uh, we, we then counseled everyone else because we did so poorly the first year with our scores. Everybody else should, <laughs> should answer A, you know, something else. Out. Yeah. The yeah. reason I picked D was it just seemed to me like that's what would play on the film, on the screen, you know, yes. for people, this Jackson has to do this at least somewhat for folks that haven't read the book. Or well, yeah, read and, it, like, and he's not going to, sh- he's going to show them, um, you know, at war, you know, sh- yeah. he's not going to yeah. give up a chance to, I think, show them, you know, doing some cool elven fighting, you know, 
So yeah, and I think I even said that in the episode. You know, I laughingly talked about John and at the uh, at, um, the Lonely Mountain Band and how on Hobbit Day, you know, his big highlight for Hobbit Day was the guy who makes swords. You know, oh, Arctic uh-huh. Fire. And yeah. I said, you know, I, as my example, I said, you know, there are those viewers who want to see battle. You know, they want they want to see battle. And actually, we we saw Peter Jackson's sneak peek that accompanied the release of the Blu-ray DVD of the movie last week. And um, and specifically with Toriel, but also with Legolas, but especially with Toriel, you definitely saw that sort of like a battle mode. And, in fact, there was one scene where she's um, she's interrogating an orc and is threatening to kill the orc. So, hmm. again, that points kind of more toward a, a D, it seems like to me. Yeah, I, I think so. Could, now, the could, other thing. Could, you know, the, the B could, it, that could be B. Could be B. You're out of, uh, well, what I thought is, you know, maybe I'm in none of the above because I was wondering if instead of uh, instead of the forest having a demarcation, perhaps they are kind of stuck underground. Perhaps the only time they're really at peace is when they're in their underground area. Um, I wonder if they're going to show it more expansively than it's. Then it's, you know, in the book, it's basically just the Hall of the King. But I wonder if right. they're going to have that be the elven realm will be mostly underground. And now, let's see. Picture somewhere, and I'm trying to think. I don't know if it was Jackson. Sorry about that. That's my puppy. There's a, there's a, there's a battle going on here next to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it. Um, there's a picture, and I'm, I don't think it was... At the sneak peek, I think it was when we were talking. I think it was in the last episode, the episode that just went up today. In fact, uh, the Brills and the Dark, where we were talking about Thranduil's realm, where um, there was a picture of of uh, like the concept drawing for the movie of Thranduil's halls, and it looked a lot like either a John Howard Allenly, I can't remember which one, drawing of Minigroth. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So actually, to me, what it looked like. I jokingly said or thought that it's kind of the opposite of Lothlorien. You know how we the Lothlorien, it was going up into the trees, and this drawing was like they're living down at the roots of the trees. <laughs> yeah. Kind of odd looking, you know, but yeah. So that's, that's I think, what he's going to do. And But that's a really good point. You know, they've got that bridge that goes – remember the bridge from the, um, from the original uh, movie scroll back when this was going to be part of movie one? Where they, they, there's a seat of them going across the bridge yes. into the Elven King's uh, domain. And that could be, well, I suppose technically that could be like a demarked boundary. Um, you know, so that would make it like, what, D, I guess. I guess that um, would make it like D. Yeah, I think, and I think the elves are going to be living in crisis. I think they're going to be, um, you know, I think they're going to be addressing this evil that spreads, spreading so quickly through Mirkwood. So, yeah, I can't. Yeah. I'm just ignoring it. No, I don't think so. Right. I don't think so. So, I think they're going to be aware of of what's going on. But then, you know, then does that make sense for them to all, you know, pack up and head up towards the Lonely Mountain if they're being threatened at home? So, I don't That's know. True. I don't know. But on the other hand, once Dol Guldur is defeated, which presumably will be in movie two, then I guess they would have a reason in movie three. You know, presumably Mirkwood would be tamed by then um, and the evil would be gone away. So I guess they could head up to the Lonely Mountain then. 
it would make sense for them to to be able to leave at that point. So, so yeah, I guess I'm yeah. I guess I'm I guess I'm D, but I'm thinking that it's going to be mostly underground instead of right instead right. of a lot of forest being untouched. That so. the boundary would literally be like at the door of the yeah. It's going to be big. It's going to be really big. Kind of like a a hidden realm. It's kind of like a hidden realm. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, let's see. Um, We we have heard from, um, and I've been really bad. I need to, I really have got to reach out to the analysts. I mean, first of all, to, you know, I'm sure there might even be some who are like, oh, okay, I did, I never said I would do the second year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but the good, good old Mark Fisher, American Golden Star have, have, um, have put their answers in. Now, Mark actually did write us a thing. Let me read you his what he has to say. Um, so he kind of goes through, let's see, does he go through all four options? Yeah, he does, I guess. Um, okay, so he says, okay, so let's talk about 3A. Is the... Is the forest uniformly dark? Even in the books, this isn't the case. The reason Tarandul has, has his halls in the far north is explicitly to avoid the encroaching shadow, at least according to notes and unfinished tales. So while there's no magical boundary, boundary or anything like that, it would be reasonable for the region around the elves to be less affected than the rest of the forest, and there would be good cinematic reasons for that, too. That's a good point. And then 3B, are the elves in crisis? This is trickier. They're obviously not in anything like a state of actual siege. If they're still carelessly throwing barrels into the river and expecting them to reach Lake Town, they can't be too worried about surrounding enemies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On the other hand, the movie has to account for the capture of the dwarves. The book makes sense of this by quoting the historic animosity of the elves and dwarves. They did not love dwarves and thought Thorin was an enemy. But that just won't make sense if Thranduil has already pledged himself to the kings under the mountain. That implies that there's at least some outside factor raising the tension in the woodland realm, even if they're not out and out, out and out at war. Okay. That seems to put me at about 50-50 on both your sub-questions, which makes it tricky to pick an answer. I doubt the forest will be uniformly dark, but I also doubt there will be any kind of a distinct boundary. I don't think the elves will be in crisis, but I can't see them being entirely at peace either. I'm not completely sure which of the four options fits here, but D seems closest in spirit, I think. So he put D. So he's a D boy. Well, that uh, he's kind of hedging hedging his bets there, but he's, he's got a lot. Of, he's got a lot of good points, you know. Although I can still see them putting the barrels in the river. Um, yeah, you yeah, know. I, I mean, I don't think spiders would carry carry so much care so much about their barrels, and um, and does, I, mean, I think the orcs, if if there are orcs, they are probably following the dwarves. Would be my guess. So. Well, and don't the, aren't the barrels going in the river pretty much right at the edge of the forest? I mean, they're out of yeah. Mirkwood. Yep. Very yep, they're out of Mirkwood pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. It, well, now, Merrick and Goldestar is interesting. Merrick said D also, but uh, Goldestar said B, which means they're still in, they are definitely in crisis, but that, she says as she scrolls up, um, there's no boundary. There's no boundary. Yeah. Right. There's no obvious boundary. So, right. yeah. 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 I, I think, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think the elves are in crisis no matter what. I think B and yeah. D really are the two, the two choices, and it is so kind of a 50-50. Yeah. yeah. Those, I, those I can see the most it. sense. Yeah. 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 Now, oh. the, um, okay. the other result have is from our uh, Facebook page of listeners who are 
are voting on that, and I believe they also said D, did they not? They did say D. They did say, say D. D. So that's, that's overwhelming answer is D, yeah. I mean, that's the winning answer right now is D, yeah. 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 Interesting okay. how this comes out. So. Now, what we've got listeners have weighed on too, we right? We do. We have some listener comments. Um, and we have we have a couple just general comments that I think might be interesting to, to talk about first. Um, okay. Now, Harold Johnson, from the, this is from the Facebook page, the Tolkien Professor Facebook page, says, listening to 2.03 right now, you know what strikes me? In season one, much speculation seemed to be about how Peter Jackson and crew were either going to take the easy road or worse, mangle the story. But since Unexpected Journey came out, the tone seems much more, how might Peter Jackson and crew adapt the written story in ways that makes it really cool on screen? With a couple months to reflect now, I think Unexpected Journey is a surprisingly good story on its own and possibly the most successful so far in adapting and presenting the themes J.R.R. Tolkien was trying to tell in his writing. And from the way you and Trish and Dave are playing with speculation now, it seems you agree. I wouldn't be surprised if in the end, the Hobbit trilogy is a much more compelling movie series than Lord of the Rings was. And I love Lord of the Rings. So... Yeah, you know, I, I I think I might agree with that. I think it's been more successful so far than the yeah, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think it has been too, yep. frankly. Yeah, so. I think it has been too. And he's right about the change in tone, you know. I mean, I both Corey and I repeatedly said, you know, as a way to cover our butts with our, you know, to explain our low scores, <laughs> that, um, or at least I know I said quite a few times that, you know, one of the reasons I voted the way I did last year was because I honestly thought – Jackson was going to mangle the story. I didn't think he was going to keep anywhere near as close to the story as he actually yeah. did, even with all the additions. You know, and there's things that bug me. In fact, I was thinking today about how many of Radagast's scenes are just silly. You know, I just, it's like, yes. I wish, I mean, I was glad they put him in, but God, I mean, he's a buffoon. I mean, everything about mm-hmm. him is a buffoon. And that well, except me, when he except when he, he kicks some butt down in Dol Guldor, you know. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean that was that was good. I mean, you know, but but whenever he you know has his like the thing. Well, and it's not his fault, but it's just the thing with the pipe and yeah, you know, yeah, even that's so they, they they reshowed the uh, the clip where uh, for movie two where uh, Gandalf goes to the tomb of the Nazgul and um, you know Radagast surprises him there. You know, surprises him there and. Um, uh, there's birds, his birds, the birds that live in his hair are flying around, and then he takes his hat off, and the birds come in, and they, mm-hmm. and they get in his hair, he puts the hat back on. And I was just thinking, you know, I just, I just wish they had dialed that down just some. I mean, they could have dialed him down quite a bit, and he still could have been, like, comic relief, but it's just, anyway. Yeah, it's, that, Peter Jackson, he likes to go a little bit over the top for my taste. Yeah, he does. So, you know, but I can kind of see what he's say, going for. He's going for, you know, the... The nature, um, the nature spirits, or the um, right, right, right. I mean, right. He, he, he doesn't care about convention. I'll tell you what I wish he'd done. I wish he had. I wish he had made Radagast a little bit more Tom Bombadilly. I mean, that still could have been, uh, you know, funny, fun. Uh, nature spirit kind of thing, and because we didn't get Tom Bombadil in the movies, and he still has a right to use him, um, it would have been nice if he 
could have done something a little bit more recognizably Tom Bombadil. But anyway, that's water under the bridge, so to speak. That's Those are barrels in, under the bridge. But, I, but let me just go back and just say after that whole diatribe is I do agree, though, that I think – you know, this is a good story. I think it does stand well on its own, frankly. And I think he has actually, I argue, I mean, Tolkien wrote, and this was the thing that the paper that I presented a few weeks, a few months ago, a couple months ago, um, that, you know, Tolkien wrote about recognizing the difference the adapt the adaptation is required when you're bringing his stories to film. Mm-hmm. And, but, but he also said there shouldn't be that much difference between media. You know, in terms of the core of the story. Yeah, the story should still be there. Still be there. And I think Jackson has pretty much, I mean, I do think he has. I think Tolkien believe. It, aside, if you take away all of the bad experiences they've had with the actual commercial end of the movie business, I mean, I would like to think that Tolkien would, would have a little bit more, uh, would like this more than maybe some of the adaptations he saw in his lifetime. And that's all I'll say. I'll let you go on Well, reading. I'm sure he's rolling in his grave. <laughs> Okay, so we have so, um, and and then there was another comment about the fealty because uh, I know you and Corey, Corey was talking about how Thranduil um, swore fealty to Thor, and and several of the um, several of the listeners took exception to that. Um, and in the scene, so Chris Stevens says, I listened to this podcast yesterday and went to watch the movie again today. On the question of whether the Elven King swore fealty to Thror, in the scene, Thranduil is said to pay homage to Thror. I took no hint that he swore fealty. I viewed it as a king paying his respects to a very powerful neighbor. Now, Thorne may not have the same opinion, but I feel it is incorrect to think that Thranduil is Thor's vassal. So... Yeah, and I I agree. I I didn't get any sense so that that he was swearing fealty. So yeah. I think you know when when Thorin is captured, I don't think Thrandall is going to treat him somebody he once swore fealty to or swore fealty to his right. his grandfather. Right. So I mean, I, I I do agree. I do agree, and I know I've said this before that what he was doing is what Chris said, paying his respects to a very powerful neighbor and 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 promising to a, an alliance. You know, promising to come to his aid, much like much like Theoden, and, you know, the the Rohan and Gondor kind of relationship. You know, I didn't um, I didn't feel like it was even that much. I mean, it was it explicitly explicitly stated, or was it just a nod? I mean, it seemed like a begrudging know. little I, nod. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look at that, but I mean, it's, I suppose I maybe if I, I don't know that that was the case. I can't remember what the what the narrator said. I guess I'm. If the narrator didn't say anything, I'm filling in the fact that he did show up with his army when the dragon came. He just chose to not enter he into just the battle. Didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, if he did, you know, quote unquote, promise aid in in times of need, then you know, Thorin does have a right to be pissed off at, to some degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I, I I don't. You know, that's I. Corey is sticking to this whole vassal thing, and I just don't. I don't think it's a vassal relationship. I just think well, it's... You know, the other thing that's going to be interesting is Thranduil knows who Thorin is. Right. So, you know, is he going to remember who he is? Oh, yeah. Because in, in the sneak peek, there's a, there's, uh, there's a scene where Thranduil is literally lounging on his antler throne, and he makes some kind of snide comment about, you know, what are you doing in the forest or something. And he oh, okay. totally understands. He knows who it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty sneery about it. Is he? So, yeah. 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 
and uh, he's not he's not speaking in Elvish, presumably. So Thorne yeah. knows what he's saying. <laughs> right, and there, <laughs> Thorne doesn't have to read the read the. He's not pulling an Azog. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go on. Okay, okay, so we have some. Uh, predictions from from readers from the Facebook page. This is from Michael. It says, in terms of the riddle itself, while y'all do make some really good arguments, I have to go with A. The reason for this is twofold. There were lots of things in the film one that I thought, oh, of course they're going to change that, either to simplify it or make it what they think is more interesting. But they didn't. I think this could very well fall into that category when all is said and done. And two, I don't think it'd be as difficult as y'all seem to think for Jackson to evoke this duality of the forest. Think about Moria. In the Fellowship film, we're shown a very dark, horrifying, and very scary place that is ruined and filled with darkness and the marks of the presence of evil. However, it's still very much a dwarven place. This dwarvenness is evoked by the way they talk about its history, the masculine and solemn music Howard Shore overlays the scene with, and the rigid, angular, and vertical architecture. I can see Jackson and company very easily doing something like that. And in the case of the river, I can see them saying something like, the forest has taken Bomber, he's falling fall into its darkness and evil, and then Thorne's eyebrows narrowing and his forehead creasing as he says with distaste, this isn't the work of the forest. This is the work of the elves. Oh, I can uh, totally hear Thorne say that. Yeah. That's a very good point. I think Michael's got a very good point there, yeah. and I think this, that's certainly worth considering. Yeah. Um, so the, you so know, the elves I, are I, sort of in, um, in a... Um, a relationship with the forest where they're they're sort of living with the darkness and um you know putting their own uh like for instance the river putting that magic in the river right right so to right which, which could actually i suppose be a defense mechanism too you know what i mean it could be portrayed as a defense mechanism the river yeah yeah so, so okay well i i okay well michael i think you made some good points yeah so that's that's one A we have there. And then from the Mythgard page, Tony Mead says, I have to go with either B or D on this one, and I chose D. This is the choice that makes the most cinematic sense. For one, it was always clear to me from the book that Thrandall's realm was something of an island of elven peace in the mess that was Mirkwood. And since the filmmakers are clearly trying to emphasize the decay and desolation of Mirkwood through the evil influence of the necromancer and doing so visually, then they must also emphasize the difference between that and the realm of the elves. Also, visually speaking, Jackson and any other decent filmmaker need to make a point of making each location, especially the important ones, visually unique within that world, so that when you go there, you know exactly where you are. We've already seen this with Dale and Erebor in the first film. Neither of these locations look that much like anything from the Lord of the Rings trilogy, even though we'd already seen locations of related cultures, such as Moria, related to Erebor, and Edoras, related to Dale. Furthermore, we all know that the basic concept of all drama is conflict. Jackson is obviously using Mirkwood to show us the creeping return of darkness into the world. And in order to ramp up the tension in the second film, we need to have characters that we know and are good and for whom we care to be in danger. So there needs to be a sense that there's a battle between the forces of light and goodness, the elves, and those of evil and darkness, the necromancer, the spiders, etc., and we need to see that visually through some kind of actual fight. 
Lastly, we know from reports of footage seen at various places that there is some kind of confrontation in the forest between Legolas, Watariel, and the dwarves. We've also heard rumors that the elves might somehow be involved with the spider fight. My guess is that this confrontation is either during or just after Bilbo rescues the dwarves from the spiders. So if we ask, why is Legolas running around in the forest with other elven warriors, such as Tariel, clearly it's because they are at war with something and out trying to fight it. This siege mentality would also help to justify Thranduil's treatment of Thorin and company. In the book, I always felt like the Elven King came off as kind of an unreasonable jerk, especially considering what we're told about the Elves' inherently good nature. Why is he so hostile towards a bunch of ragged, starving dwarves stumbling about in the woods? If we have this situation in which they're actively engaged in a war for the survival of their realm, it makes so much more sense that he would have suspicions of these strangers running around in his lands, especially if we've been set up with this previous grievance between Thrandall and Thorin in the first film. That's my take on the question, D. So... So, I'm sorry to have read the entire thing, but I thought it was really interesting, and I think yeah, it makes no, I think a lot of good. really good points, you know, that we need to see these people that we care about, you know, and, and Legolas is somebody we care about from the previous film, in danger, um, you know, that's going to that's gonna ramp up the storyline. Um, and also to make the place visually unique. And that's why I kind of think that they're, they're maybe going to do the underground route, because that would be really unique. Um, yeah for really yeah. different kind of elven realm. Yeah. So. yeah. And it'll be a way to uh, certainly differentiate it from both Rivendell and Lothlorien. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that was a very thoughtful answer. So, so thank you, Tony, for that. Absolutely. All right. And then we have a couple more. Terranel. 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 sounds ter- better. Oh, hopefully it's not terrainal. Terrainal. <laughs> oh, looks so he or she says, I'm going with D, mainly because, just because I would like to see an Elf Queen of Shannara-esque sequence, where there's a heavily defended barrier separating the Elven King's Halls from the rest of Mirkwood, and the Elves are under siege from the spiders, the other evils in Mirkwood, etc., However, I don't envision there's really any specific difference between how the Elven King's Castle and the rest of Mirkwood. That is to say, there won't be a Lothlorien scenario where there's a stark visual contrast. With the elves being at war, I'd expect their domain to look just as dark and bleak as Mirkwood, except spider-web-free, and then there being an actual physical barrier separating the two. I could also see a scenario where Bomber falls in the river and is poisoned by the necromancer's influence, and then the company is carrying him through the forest. They get found by an elven patrol with Legolas and Tariel and get taken back to the elven king. But then that sets up more conflict between him and the dwarves, that they are bringing the blight inside the walls in the form of Bomber. So. You know, and we, we actually, when we talk about the spider episode, we could not remember, we could not remember... Well, I don't know if it's a remember. I think it's more like we were speculating about whether Bomber's awake or asleep during the spider thing. We don't know. He's I mean, awake. The way that she's, the way that Terranol's talking. Well, I'm in the movie. In the, and the oh, way Terranol's yeah, talking yeah. about right now is, you know, Bomber would be asleep during it because that's how, you know, 
they'd ha- the spider issue would have to be showing up between, you know, when Bob falls in the yeah. river and the Elven Patrol brings him to the king. So, yeah. But, yeah, in the book, he's awake, right? He wakes up, yeah. He's awake. So, I don't know. He's awake. So, that yeah, that's kind of heading towards the next week's thing. So, but right. um, but there is another D. So, and then the last one, Hamfast is also D. The elves' realm is currently resisting the cancer affecting the rest of the forest, but the elves are worried about it spreading to their realm. This will be heightened by their encounter with the spiders while fighting the dwarves and will eventually lead to a party of elves heading out to fight the evil in the forest, which will replace the party as the event which allows Bilbo to bust the dwarves out of the prison. Oh, that's interesting. So instead of the feast... They'll they'll all go out to fight the evil, and that's mm-hmm. when we'll rescue them. So that's that's right. That's, could be, I could see that. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. See that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I now do talk about the you know the jailbreak uh, in uh, two in two episodes from this one because we're you and I are talking today about two point oh three and two point oh five is the one where we talk about or I think the riddle is even about you know how is the escape affected. Mm-hmm. So we'll you and I you and I'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but that is interesting. Yeah. That because I that's right. I mean we we I don't I don't remember that we talked a huge amount about what would be the circumstances under which you know Bilbo would free himself up to be able to go spring everybody. Um, I know we've talked about the fact that, you know, we can't really see them getting drunk, but we'll talk, you and I'll talk about that when we get to that episode. Cause that's right. You know, that's right. We don't want to get too other far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so it looks like D is what most people are going with. It looks like okay. D. It, it seems like everybody thinks they're, they're going to be in crisis. And, and I think that's, I think that's for good reason. I think they're, you know, it's, it's, it, it makes sense that they're not going to be just sitting around partying. That they're going to no. be. And I agree with Tony. I just think it makes cinematic sense. I think, oh. you know, I, yeah, I just, it just, I don't know. It just seems to me like elves sitting around partying would be um, too much at odds with the, the, the aura that Jackson's created in the first film. Oh, exactly. Film. With the yeah. whole, with the tone of the film. It's much darker exactly. than it is in the original yeah, book. Absolutely. Much more, Absolutely. much more threatening. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. goodness, you know, Azogs follow him around. So, I know, I know. <laughs> There's not going to be a lot of parties <laughs> going on, I don't think. No, definitely so. not. And, and actually, uh, oh, speaking of which, this is we're back. We're going to backtrack just a tad here. But there was a scene in in the sneak peek, Jackson sneak peek, and and you know, I. We got to take this with a grain of salt because it might not have. This might not be the sequence, but it looked like the sequence was that the way that the company actually ends up entering Bjorn's hall is that they're running away from something or someone, which we would assume would probably be orcs, orcs slash wolves, and literally come busting through the front doors of Bjorn's house. Ah, okay. like they're something's in hot pursuit of them, so I, you know, that could have been after they've arrived at Bjorn's and they're just, they were out, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see. But it was well, definitely that, Bjorn's house. Yeah, well, you know, they were going to have to change that where they come in two by two because that would take way too oh, yeah. long. That would take way too long. So and you know, I would say because we leave them at the Carrick. Um, my, you know, my thing is is that. You know, I would assume they're going to walk down the Carrick or when the movie starts, and we're going to have an episode about how the movie's going to start, so we'll go into that in much more detail. But I would think that, you know, you can't have too many minutes of movie before there has to be some kind of dire circumstance. Exactly. Which is probably going to be, you know, being 
being chased by orcs. So then they run, 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 and, and Gandalf maybe do the same thing he did with Rivendell. This way, this way. <laughs> yeah, maybe Radagast will show up and. <laughs> come on this way, run this way, you know. Um, and they they come bursting through Bjorn's the door. So that's the worst be distraction, Radagast. Oh my God. <laughs> Why don't you lead them away? (laughs) There was a somebody did a comic strip on on the Hobbit, and I think one of the one of the strips was something about how Radagast forgets what he's supposed to be doing and and just runs around in circles instead of leading the horse away from the company. (laughs) Radagast, he just oh Oh, lord. Well, I okay. It's conundrum time. Yes, it is. So. We are going to do a conundrum that actually has nothing to do with anything that was ever discussed in the Riddles in the Dark episode. But we touched on it just briefly in this episode, which is the White Heart, which is either going to be a deer or it's going to be elk like the kind that Randall was writing. Anyway, some kind of creature like that, that in the book they see uh, leaping through the forest. It's a hunting party, right? There are hunting horns in the book. Yeah, so believe, we want to know. And yeah, I believe, and the heart shows up, and then some other deer show up afterwards. But the heart right. jumps across the river, and right. that doesn't that startle Bomber so much that he falls in? That's okay. how he ends up falling in. And the um, the the dwarves start shooting their arrows at him too. So. Right. And I think doesn't somebody says finally I think Thorne says something like stop wasting your arrows. Stop wasting your arrows, yeah. But wait a minute. Now was that before? No, no. It, so they're shooting their arrows and then they realize Bomber's fallen in. Bomber's fallen in the water. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're wondering is the is the white heart going to make an appearance? Not not is Thrandall going to be riding around on a white right. heart no, or, no, 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 no. or whatever. Is the, but is, is there, but is, is that there, incident going to happen? Is a white deer-like animal, whether it's the elk or, or an actual deer, you know, a heart, show up. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same places in the book. And it doesn't necessarily have to leap over this the river. I just want to know if there's going to be – if it's going to put it in appearance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it could be grazing in, you know, in the next glen over or something. But just the fact – is there going to be a white heart-like animal in the forest that the company sees? So what do you think, Trish? Hmm. I think yes. Yeah. What do you think? What do you I think? think yes. I think yes too. I mean, because I want to you know, see it, not because I really <laughs> think it's going to be there. Well, and then we also have these little things, you know, like, like you know, uh, Gandalf not remembering the names of the blue wizards and the mm-hmm. fact that they call Isog an Agundabad uh, orc, and you know, these little things that ja- that Jackson's put in. That's why I think it'll. I think it'll put it up here, but I'm well, you know be... why else would Bomber fall in the river? You know? I mean it's it's you know, it's a good it's a little exciting thing that can happen and and uh you know, you will see this magnificent white stag jump over the the river and then he'll fall in. It I think it would look very cool. So I hope they do it. I hope they put it in. So we're both yeses on that one, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. Cool. So well, like I said on Core Talk, we've come to the end. You've wasted another however many minutes it's been with us on Riddles in the Dark Digest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. It's not a waste. No, it's I'm not well a spent. waste. I'm being, I'm being, I'm being, 
funny. It's definitely not a waste. This is the highlight of my day. Yeah, um, yeah so that's great. And uh, everybody, keep on, you know, keep on putting in your, your comments on this. You know, just because we've gone through an episode doesn't mean we won't go back. I mean, especially when we get kind of toward the end of the year wrap-up, we may go back and do some reviews of, of anything anybody's added. So, um, you know, keep those cards and letters coming in on Facebook and on uh, the MythGuard site, and we will keep doing what we're doing. That's right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Burkholz again. We just need a slight correction to the conundrum this week. Uh, the heart that jumps across the river in Mirkwood is actually a black heart, not a white heart. So for the conundrum, we're going to ask, will a white or black deer show up during the river crossing of the dwarves in Mirkwood? Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.